0: in going through the book and as an a kind of as a writer and editor and and compiling all this all these chunks of wisdom and then we didn't even have the decision to do these you know, to do the book in chapters. And so we had to kind of organize and say, okay, and, and categorize and tag each bit of wisdom as like which section does this fit into? And so going through all that like has required us to read the book. Over. <laughs> and over and over again.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to stop with it to read the book. Yeah. yeah. So you have read the book then.
0: Yes, we, we <laughs> did read the book a lot. And so we reading it over and over again, there's, I mean, I don't know if I've read that many books is the number of times I've read this one. And so so I, this must be my favorite book. I don't know. But, uh, but, but I've learned a ton just by reading the things that other co-authors have, you know, have written.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Working Differently in Extension podcast. I'm Bob Birch. We're continuing our series focusing on the new book, We've Tried That Before, 500 Years of Extension Wisdom. And today we're going to hear from some of the book's co-authors, including Hunter McBrayer from Alabama, Daphne Richards from Texas, Scott Madison from Michigan, and Eric Staffney from Mississippi. But we're going to start with the authors, editors, Paul Hill from Utah, and Jamie Sager from Ohio. I asked Paul and Jamie about the sections of the book that really stood out to them.
0: But, you know, I mean, Brad Anderson, Keith Smith that I've mentioned, um, you know, even Jamie and, and other co-authors, their, their advice has really sunk in with me. And it's things that I've, I've applied, you know, just deciding like Melissa Stewart, she talks about starting with the end in mind and that's her section. And she, she asks if this project is is successful a year from now, what does the impact look like? And that's something I start my extension programs with every time that's, that's the start. And, and I didn't, I wasn't doing that until I read her section and was going through editing it. And it really, it really stuck with me. So beginning with that end in mind and thinking, you know, if we're celebrating and one of the, that kind of led me to kind of change that question. But if we're celebrating six, our success a year from now, what is this, you know, what are we celebrating? What was the impact that we made? And that, and and that's something that I found, you know, very
1: valuable just in my own uh, career. Were there any sections like that for you, Jamie, that uh, really stuck out in your own work?
2: Oh, for sure, um, and especially recently. So, like many states, we're going through a lot of structure changes um, here in Ohio, and um, one of the quotes that we included from Brene Brown, who I, I love, I love her work, um, was that being brave um, really just means showing up, and that's that's um, for sure my life right now, just showing up every day for work and finding something to be excited about and finding the opportunities that exist in change. Um, it, I, I think that's a big takeaway for me. And um, several of the sections that our co authors wrote in the book allude to that as well. So um, Paul had mentioned Melissa, and another one of Melissa Stewart's um, sections um, on creating your own opportunities. One of the quotes in there. Um, was that there was always a need for brave people to take the first step toward finding a new solution. And so that's something that I'm really kind of um, grasping onto right now and um, taking to heart in my work every day. Um, Also, I love Hunter's section. Every time I read it, I love it more and more. So Hunter McBrayer from Alabama has a great section on ignoring the jaded Um, and not letting bitterness drive your work Um, and that's that's just oh great words to live by um, and i love it and and he says in that section to stick with those who think outside of the extension box and basically not let anyone else um, bring you down so that's another section that i'm really um, keeping close to my heart right now too
3: so the ignore the jaded was when i read Halbert's work, I thought, hmm, I I got something I can add to this.
1: Hunter McBrayer, Alabama Cooperative Extension, author of the sections Ignore the Jaded and Ignore the Gossip.
3: Because, you know, I'm a pretty young agent. Um, I've been with Extension now for uh, five and a half years, I guess, and still, you know, out there working pretty hard, getting things done, trying to make things the way I want them to be. And, uh, I always hear people say, ah, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And, uh, so that was really easy. Um, ignore the jaded because we all have those people around us that things aren't as good as they used to be. It's not like the good old days. Well, I can tell you that I'm pretty fresh in extension and not too far, um, out of the private workforce. And, uh, hey, we've got a good gig here. Um, We've got a a good job. Uh, We get to help people every day. Um, We get to make the world a better place, um, no matter how we do that and how we're we're going. And so things are as good as they used to be. It may be different, but they're still good. So that was easy. They ignore the gossip. I'm not really a gossip kind of guy. You know, I don't really take it. Um, But I know, I, I hear people and they get really worked up. And so after a while, after I wrote the jaded one, it, one day, I think I was sitting in my office listening to somebody, and I said, "Hmm, I got another section for that book that I can contribute." <laughs> so,
1: in the ignore the jaded session, you kind of tell a, a little bit of the story that you just alluded to about being a young agent and hearing people, um, you know, saying you're going to burn yourself out and taking a lot on. How did that, uh, you know, you say ignore it, but um, it must have had some kind of effect on you if you're asking other agents to ignore it so how did that how did it make you feel i guess when you when you heard those things and was it directly or just kind of in the you know in the rumor mill for lack of since we're talking about gossip in the you
3: know. well it's you know and i think we've all heard it you come on and, and it's kind of always been the job no matter what job i've ever had i'm gonna give it my most i'm, I'm gonna work as hard as i can possibly work i'm gonna do i kind of have a rule within myself and you know it it Another section of the book is talking about competing with yourself and competing with your team as long as it works well. And so I kind of, I'm going to try to work circles around whoever's working beside me. And so if you put people around you that work really hard and do a really good job, that's going to make you do a really good job. And, um, so, but just as a byproduct, you end up taking on a lot of programs or having a lot of irons in the fire, however you want to say it. And, um, you know, I hadn't been in my county whenever I started my job up here. I'd worked in extension um, in a pathology lab before, which was very much away from people and kind of doing this. And people, ah, you're going you're gonna to burn yourself out. And so eventually I kind of thought, am I going to burn myself out? You know, I mean, obviously there's other people in our organization that have worked for a long time and they still work hard. They still do good work. And there's other ones that probably don't do as much as they once did. Um, But the way that I kind of see it, and I told somebody this and it kind of readjusted the way that I look at things is by the time I retire, okay, I'll have 39 years in extension. I've got 34 more to go. So if if I make it to retirement. And so I kind of had this philosophy instead of trying to time it out. So I didn't quote burn myself out. I said, you know what? I would rather burn out early and have to find another job because by the way, we can all do something different. If we have to, I'd rather burn out early and know that I gave the clients in my area, every bit of me that they could possibly get versus getting to the end of my 39 years and saying, Hmm, still had a little bit left. I probably could have given it a little bit more in the beginning. And so, um, working with that, you know, that's just kind of changed the way I look at things. And when people, Say, ah, oh, it's not this, it's not that. I just kind of let it go and um, just smirk at them a little bit and say, okay, thanks. I'll, I'll I'll take that unsolicited advice.
1: Daphne Richards, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, author of the section, Be Energetic.
4: I think it's more important to be energetic and excited about your job and just life in general than it is to know everything. And I think most people come into Extension They have training in whatever their subject matter is. I have horticulture, so my degrees are in horticulture. But you come in and you have to work with people. And so every day, you don't use much of what you were trained for. You have to learn a different set of skills on the job. And if you're not energetic and excited about that, then you can just get the wind taken out of your sails pretty quickly. And so I saw that chapter, and I'm like, that's the chapter that I want to write because I think that is key to being a successful extension professional is being excited about being at your job every day.
1: It's an interesting point because I wonder if most of the new people that come into Extension, and maybe people who have been here for a while, uh, have that perspective. We, a lot of times, hire people based on their subject matter expertise, not necessarily their disposition towards working with people or being educators. Has that been your experience, and, and maybe why has it been different for you?
4: Well, I think it was my experience early on, and that's what I try to convey to new people that come into Texas, Extension in Texas, is that you know you don't know everything, and, and but don't try to pretend like you do. People don't expect you to know everything. You are not the person who sat in your chair before you did, because as Extension agents or educators, we come in and the person who had our job for, before us might have had it for 20 years, and they knew everything, and you're not that person. And so another direction that I probably would have taken had I made my own chapter was be authentic. I think that's super important as well. You've got to be energetic and you have to be yourself. You have to be authentically yourself in your job every day and not claim to know something you don't know, act like you are an expert in something. Be honest and say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out and I'm going to get right back to you and learn every day. And I think agents come in or new agents or new educators come in and think, You know, I don't know what that plant is. I don't know what that disease is. I don't know how to deal with that insect. And they become overwhelmed and they just need to deal with that every day and learn um, what that insect is and go out the next day and authentically just tell the answer then.
1: That's one of the things you mentioned in your piece is just, you know, when we have setbacks to take time to learn for them, but tomorrow's a new day.
4: That was something really key that I learned pretty early in my career, Uh, as an extension agent in horticulture, I work with volunteers. I have no training in business management, people management, HR, uh, none of that. I have none of that training. And so when I came up against people who challenged me, um, I had some hard days with people. And so you come up with those challenging people and you have to learn how to deal with them. And if you go home and you let that get under your skin and you don't have some sort of way to reset that button and start fresh you're not going to be successful in extension. And, and I think in life in general, so I think that's good for any new agent to come in and know is that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things wrong and you're going to have to get up the next morning and forgive yourself, most importantly, and start over. And if you do that, if you can successfully do that, you can be successful in extension.
1: Scott Madison, Michigan State University Extension, author of the section, Finish What You Start.
5: I found myself, uh, not being able to say no. Mm -hmm. And so every time somebody came to me, uh, with either, uh, some kind of a project or being on a committee or leading a committee, um, I kept saying yes. And the more I said, yes, it seemed like the less I was getting done. And so I had to kind of take a step back and, and kind of reevaluate how I wanted to move forward and extension in, um, and unfortunately, a lot of that was just to say no to certain things and finish what I started.
1: Do you have thoughts on sort of how extension professionals might be able to achieve that kind of focus? Like what what worked for you in terms of deciding what to say yes to, what to say
5: no to? Um, it, it Pretty much what I did was I kind of – I took a step back and I thought about where I wanted to be in three to five years and what I wanted to accomplish. Um, I knew that I wanted to have some kind of a leadership role. Um, and then I also wanted to make sure I was still having that impact on, on community. And so um, I was very um, selective on, on what roles to take on as far as leadership. And so I ended up becoming uh, the co-leader of our, of our team. Instead of doing multiple committee type stuff, it was more or less, let's take on the the bigger role of being a co-leader. And then that allowed me to spend a lot more uh, time going out in community and doing programs, things like that.
1: The title of the section is Finish What You Started. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the finishing part is it something that you see either in your state or around the country or just in your own experience that, that sometimes our efforts go abandoned or not, not finished in extension?
5: I would think so. Um, I guess, you know, I'm being in a number of meetings and talking with a number of extension professionals and, and, you know, we talk about collaboration and cross group and cross team collaboration, but yet, um, in my experience, um, very little of that gets done because we seem to be stuck in our silos, right? So if we're going to have those types of conversations, we need to come to an agreement with with each other uh, and others that if we're going to start this, then we need to follow through on it Uh, and not just talk a good game and then once we walk out the door, we forget about it.
1: Eric Staffney, Mississippi State University Extension, author of the section, Extension is a Family Built on Collaboration.
6: You know, we're spread very thin within Extension in terms of what our responsibilities are. So, you know, there's, you know, within a state, we you might have one specialist that covers one thing. Like in my example, you know, I'm the fruit specialist, okay, for the whole state. So I need help and by collaborating and by um, kind of cultivating collaboration within within the university of you know folks who may have different uh, specialties or different interests but um, you know you you can find ways to work together that makes the job much easier and you can you can actually expand uh, the potential for not only uh, programming and extension but also research and, and education as well so um, there's a lots of benefits to that.
1: In the piece you mentioned not just collaboration sort of across topic areas or across silos within extension but but reaching out to, to partners outside of the organization as well. How has that been important in your own work in Mississippi?
6: Well you know I've Collaborate in some ways with grower organizations. I've done that quite a bit. I've collaborated with larger industry type um, commodity groups. Um, th- those types of things, but you know, also just individual farmers or growers. You know, they have ideas that uh, or needs that sometimes create a spark and uh, have resulted in programs that I've given here uh, and that they've participated in those programs by by giving their expertise uh, and and it, I think we've all benefited from that
1: as part of the piece uh in the book you tell a story about starting out uh at Oklahoma state um and uh how a collaboration sort of came about through your door can you tell us a little bit about about that experience.
6: Sure, uh, you know, it's fall of 2005, and I had just started as an assistant professor at Oklahoma State, uh, I, I kind of knew a, a couple of faculty members before briefly through American Society of Horticultural Science, but not very well. And so, you know, you, you don't know what you're doing, you know, as you're starting out, you're trying to, trying to not drown and, Figure out okay. How do I get the publications done? How do I start getting grants? How do I serve on committees? at students and all this sort of stuff. And you're you're really trying to just uh, figure all of that out in a way that that without being just overwhelmed. So you know, very early on, this professor that um, he was a full professor and he was a vegetable specialist. Um, he came down the hall and said, you know, there's this this internal grant program at Oklahoma State that's new, and I thought that uh, we could collaborate on this together, you know, and uh, and so the idea was that we would do different variety trials. I would do the fruit side, and he would do the vegetable side, so... Um, it seemed to fit pair very well. And, you know, and it's one of those things where he didn't have to come down to my door and ask me, he could have done it himself, but he knew I was a new faculty member. He knew that I needed somehow to gain a foothold into, um, starting my career. And, and that was a big help to me. And I, you know, never forgot that.
1: Yeah, it really underscores uh, collaboration, but the, you use the word generosity uh, in telling the story in the book. And I just thought that was such an apt word. And you mentioned sort of uh, learning from that and, and being willing to reach out uh, to others and collaborate. You know, sometimes research, especially academia in general, um, there is some, some element of competition in it to be the first or be the best or, you know, get your paper out there and, you know, protect your idea. So that is, um, that presents a little bit of tension. So I was really interested that you brought up that word generosity.
6: Yeah. The, I, you know, I, you can tell um, there's a lot of, as you mentioned, competitiveness, territorial, uh, you know, activity around certain projects or, or certain crops or, or whatever it may be. And um, but someone who's open to collaborating and showing that they're you know not only generous with maybe their equipment or uh, plots of land or, or help, but also with uh, their ideas and willingness to just you know communicate on a on a person to person human level is very important for making uh, progress. I think. Uh, it makes all of our lives easier as far as I'm concerned, and you know that's something I've tried to do myself um, so you know some examples might be that uh, we have a new uh, professor coming in and I've been here four or five years, six years, you know, and I have maybe a publication that's in partial um, you know, it's not quite finished yet. It's in a rough draft stage. Maybe you could use a, some of the expertise of this new person. So I'll contact them and say, would you like to be part of this? Would you, you know, this will get you a publication within a month or two months of, of being here. And I think that kind of sets someone in the right direction. You know, it's not that I'm going giving this to them. They still have to do work to do it. But at the same time, it's, it, I'm I'm trying to be generous enough to give freely of what I've done to help you succeed. And that's really what I want to have happen is I don't want to see people not get tenure or uh, not be successful in their position because that, you know, that creates a whole nother set of problems. Um, Because I think if we're all successful, then, then the better our organization is going to be.
1: That was Eric Staffney, one of 30 co-authors of the book. We've tried that before. 500 years of extension wisdom. You can order a limited edition of the book in a gift box set right now at wttbgiftbox.eventbrite.com. That's wttbgiftbox.eventbrite. You can find that link and more in the show notes for today's podcast at bobbirch.com. Remember, you can listen to all of the episodes of the podcast at soundcloud.com slash working differently, and you can reach out to us anytime on Twitter. Our handle is at WDNEXT. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.